Are you looking for something different to entertain your kids? Check out a new podcast for children. Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, is a weekly show full of time travel puzzles, hidden equations, history, and lots of laughs. Math is geared towards kids six and up, but can be enjoyed by the entire family. I love how the episodes are under 20 minutes, which was perfect for our drive to school. And my four-year-old really loved the episode, The Pirate Queen. Every episode follows two best friends, Max and Molly, who work together to solve riddles and math equations during their time-traveling adventures. Episodes transport listeners to moments in history like Pythagoras' ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and so much more. New episodes drop every Thursday, and I love how engaging, funny, and educational the episodes are. Your kids won't even realize they're learning about math and problem solving. My son even said he wanted to finish the episode on our drive home from school. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to this week's episode. I am so excited to welcome Dr. Elise DeMarco, who is a clinical psychologist and author of the book Mom Brain, Proven Strategies to Fight the Anxiety, Guilt, and Overwhelming Emotions of Motherhood and Relax into Your New Self. And she is here today to talk to me all about Mom Brain. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. DeBrow. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm so excited to have you. I think, you know, mom brain is something that I didn't really realize was a thing until I became a mom. And now I'm like, wow, this title of your book very much speaks to me. And I know will speak to so many of my followers. Um, tell me a little bit more about yourself and why you wrote this book. Sure. So I am a clinical psychologist, um, as you mentioned, and I started my career specializing in cognitive behavioral therapy for anxiety and mood issues. Um, and cognitive behavioral therapy, just briefly for those listeners who don't know, is a short-term research-supported uh, treatment that really is geared towards providing strategies for people to manage their problems in the here and now. So CBT is, you know, not about unpacking childhood issues extensively. It's not about digging into the origins of a problem. It's really about, you know, here and now issues and what kinds of strategies you can use to manage those issues. So I, you know, I had an expertise in, in that. And then when I started my own private practice in the suburbs of New York City about 10 years ago, it was when I was myself becoming a mother. And I think because of my age and, you know, stage in life, I was attracting a a lot of patients who were also uh, new mothers. And what I found was that many of the strategies um, that have been research supported in CBT for things like generalized anxiety and obsessive compulsive disorder and panic disorder actually matched really well um, onto a lot of the issues that new moms face. Mm -hmm. um, all of the mom brain stuff, which includes you know much more than just mental fogginess, right? It's huge changes in emotions. It's huge cognitive shifts, it's changes in relationships, it's changes in identity. And I found that the CBT strategies really mapped beautifully onto these issues. So I started adapting the CBT that I knew for um, the new moms that I was treating and, you know, kind of used the strategies on myself as well. Um, and again, found like it was a great, it was a great fit and decided to write, you know, start writing about it. And I started writing kind of shorter pieces and then ended up writing a whole book on it. 
So that's that's the origin story. That's awesome. And I think, you know, like I said, I think people throw around the term mommy brain or mom brain just because they think they're foggy or they think they're not thinking clearly or have, you know, the anxiety and guilt and overwhelming emotions that you talk about. But it is actually truly a clinical diagnosis and clinical change that we see, correct? Yeah, it's fascinating. So yeah. you know, there, there's been very little work, um, actually embarrassingly little work on the maternal brain and what happens when we become parents. But um, emerging research is showing that mom brain far from being kind of a detriment for moms, like, and again, that's how it's portrayed, right, in, in the popular press, like mom leaves the house without her cell phone or forgets her shoes or, you know, whatever, forgets her kids' names. Um, but far from being a detriment, it, it actually is very adaptive. What seems mm-hmm. to happen is structural and functional changes in our brain that enable us to put our kids on the top of our mental priority list, which is great, right? Because that means that we are paying attention to our kids um, and making sure that they're having what they need. But that also means that other things are falling a little bit lower on the priority list, which may be, you know, the location of your phone or your shoes or whatever else, right? But again, it's actually, it's really adaptive. It is not a problem, right? It's actually... It seems to be an evolutionary um, experience, right? That enables us to take good care of our children. Oh, this is so fascinating. I can't wait to talk to you more about it. And of course, everyone, if you haven't read the book, you're going to have to buy the book because it's just amazing. But we're going to get into more about what this book is about and just what, again, mom brain and the things that happen to us as moms. So the first question I had was what happens to our emotions when we become mothers? I don't think people really realize, um, you know, the the depth of hormones and the depth of emotions that are involved when we become a mom, but what scientifically happens? So much happens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just so much. Um, you know, I spend a whole chapter in the book talking about maternal emotions because one of the things that I found consistently um, when I started doing, you know, working with a lot of, of moms was that moms generally expected sort of these blissful experiences from motherhood, right? They expected mm-hmm. that it would be sort of transcendent and amazing and they'd feel joy and love. Um, on the one hand, I'll say too that I think there's also a lot out there on the internet, which sort of like portrays motherhood as like a hot mess, you know, there's like yeah. the memes where you see like moms in the various states of disarray or whatever. So I think a lot of moms, I mean, certainly a lot of the moms I see were coming and telling me, wow, you know, I, I get that it could be like a train wreck and I get that it can be blissful, but like, that's not my experience. Like neither of those extremes are what I'm experiencing. Yeah. Um, And what it turned out was that maternal emotions were just so much more nuanced and complicated than that, right? And so you have boredom, right? Especially when your kids are really small, right? Oh my gosh, so much boredom. There's resentment, there's anger, there's frustration, there's longing for your old life, right? There's, there's, um, these experiences where you feel two seemingly contradictory emotions about the same thing, right? That's like when you finally get away from your baby and you're both thrilled to be away from your baby and also like desperate to get back to your baby. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and so again, the emotions of moms are so rich and complicated. And what I found was happening with my patients was that they were really hard on themselves for any of the negative emotions they experienced, right? So yeah. they feel anger, resentment, shame, guilt, anxiety, and then judge themselves for these feelings and feel bad about it. And my hope with this book 
was to destigmatize all of these negative emotions of motherhood, right? To show that we all experience these emotions um, many times over. Again, sometimes contradictory emotions about the same exact thing. Um, and they're nothing to be ashamed of. And instead, um, it's important to acknowledge them, right? Because we can use these negative emotions as signs that we need help, as signs that, you know, we've got to engage some coping strategies. Um, and so that's you know, that's a, a short description of the very complicated sort of emotional roller coaster that is motherhood. And, and really, you know, even when your kids get bigger, like you're still on that roller coaster. I don't think you ever get off. Oh, and it's so fascinating. I mean, my son is now 16, almost 17 months. And even within one day, it's, you know, the emotions that happen within a day. And then you look at it over the course of 17 months and then you have a older child. Um, it is very fascinating. And I so appreciate what you're talking about in terms of kind of accepting all of the emotions and not looking at the, you know, socially or, you know, however you want to describe it, negative emotions as negative. They're not. I mean, they're just emotions and we all are entitled to feeling them. And I feel the exact same way. You know, you discuss maternal anxiety at length and what anxiety challenges do your mom patients face and what strategies are helpful, do you think, to navigate this? Oh, there's so many different types of anxiety. Um, and I actually devote two chapters to it because there is so much that moms are worried about. I mean, particularly now, right, with COVID and everything yeah. that's going on. Um, and I, I talk about sort of two categories of worries in the book, what I call big stuff worries and small stuff worries. So the big stuff worries are things like, you know, a pandemic or yeah. climate change and cataclysmic weather or school violence, you know, any of these big, huge political stuff, right? I mean, any of these, these very big national, international issues. And then the small stuff worries aren't small because they're not, you know, problematic or difficult to, to navigate, but they're small because they're really about our own personal worlds, right? So it's things like, what happens if my kid isn't put in the nursery school class that I want, you know, them yeah. to be in, right? Or like, why won't my kid eat solids? What if my kid never eats solid foods? Those sort of things, right? So those are the smaller stuff worries in that they're really focused on sort of your kid individually. And so there's a number of strategies that you can use for big stuff, for small stuff. I'll, I'll give just like a, a small taste of that, which is, you know, for the big stuff, we use a lot of mindfulness and acceptance work in CBT. And I talk about it a lot in the book. And basically what this means is being accepting and compassionate towards yourself for the anxiety that you feel, because in fact, it's valid, right? Especially regarding COVID, regarding political upheaval. I mean, it is, it makes sense that we are worried about these things, right? So yeah. the first thing we need to do is just let ourselves feel this anxiety without feeling guilt or shame for feeling it, without trying to make ourselves stop feeling it, um, because all that'll do is just make us feel frustrated. Um and then sort of, so there's a big mindfulness and acceptance piece to that. And then there's also kind of an action-oriented piece where I ask my listeners or my, my readers rather to think, okay, well, you know, is there something, however small, that I can do that can affect some change in this area, right? So this would be the example of like, which I talk about in the book about like um, a mom who's really fretting about climate change and the future for her kids, deciding that she's going to volunteer, you know, a little bit of her time towards an organization that works towards combating, you know, climate change, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that's a, a small thing, right? But it can have a really profound effect when you feel like you're at least doing something to manage those big stuff concerns. And during COVID, I talked to patients about this a lot, right? About how like, no, you can't make a vaccine appear out of thin air, but like, can you volunteer at a food bank in your community? 
you know, can you and your kids bring food over? Like, actually, my kids and I did this. We, we were like bringing food every week over to a local church that was collecting food, you know, for families hit hard by the pandemic. So, you know, can you do things like that that help you to feel like you, you know, in however small a way are bringing about change? And then, you know, there's so, so there's all of those types of worries. And then there's the smaller stuff types of worries. And for those, I'm often telling moms to try to consider sort of what the worst case scenario is and if there is a way they feel they can manage it. So like a good example of this would be like, was actually something I'm hearing about a lot, this the feeding issue. I don't know if you hear about this a lot, but for whatever mm-hmm. reason, a lot of my patients recently have been worried about solids. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know what it is. And their baby's not taking to solids and they're concerned. And so I'll kind of stop them and I'll say, okay, like, let's take a step back. You know, what is the worst case scenario here? Is the worst case scenario that your baby is still not eating solids at five years old? And like the person inevitably will start laughing. No, no. And then I'll like, you know, and sometimes I'll even be more extreme. I'll be like, do you see them as 18 years old and in high school and not able to eat solid foods? And of course, my patients are always laughing. No, no, no. So I'll say, okay, all right. Well, so, you know, realistically, what is the worst case scenario? Um, And usually they'll say something like, well, maybe they'll have a little difficulty with the solids and then I'll call my pediatrician to see if there's anything more we can do. And I'll say, okay, well, is that something you could manage? Like, could you handle that? And they'll say, Yeah, I think so. (laughs) Um, Something else that I encourage people to do a lot is to, you know, when they're really worried about something, to consider the evidence for and against the worry. Like, is is there evidence to suggest that what you're worried about will likely come to pass? And is there evidence to suggest that what you're worried about likely won't? Um, And we do that a lot in CBT because CBT, you know, almost um, talks about looking at worries as though you're a scientist, you know, kind of collecting evidence for and against the worries. Um, so that too is something that we'll do with the small stuff worries. So that's kind of a little taste of some of the stuff I talk about in the book. But as I said, I have two chapters on anxiety because there's just so much to be said and actually so many great strategies that you can use to manage it. Well, what you brought up about solids, I completely agree with that. I see that a lot through my social media and also in my office. And I wonder why that's happening right now. Is it that parents or mothers are worried about, you know, would choking, um, because that's a real fear that a lot of moms have, like in the pandemic, will they be able to go to the hospital? Or, you know, what what can I give my my child that is okay for them? I think a lot of things that may be happening is mothers are on social media, and they're looking at educational accounts, or they're looking at other mothers, and they may get into a comparison game, you know, maybe my child's not doing something when another child's doing it, why is that child eating so much, or eating this? And why is my child not doing that? As a pediatrician, mom, and podcaster, I want to share with you a podcast I recently discovered. It's called Understood Explains, and this season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. The latest season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP, and it busts common myths about special education. I listened to an episode called The Difference Between IEPs and 504 plans, and I learned so much that I honestly didn't know before. I now feel I can better explain these to my patients and their families and better support them in their neurodiversity journey. Navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences can be confusing, and this podcast helps to validate these struggles and provide actionable tips that are useful for parents, teachers, and clinicians. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood explains.
Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep No Mess meals. Chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from each week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients you can trust. I absolutely love the spicy jalapeno, lime cheddar chicken, and mushroom chicken thighs with wild rice. Keep kitchen time to a minimum with Factor Meals because they're ready in two minutes, no shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleanup. I work from home and love the convenience and how delicious Factor Meals are. Head to factormeals.com slash peedsdoctalk50 and use code peedsdoctalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code peedsdoctalk50 at factormeals.com slash peedsdoctalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with non-toxic medical-grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair can be used to treat a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, diaper rashes, and other types of skin damage. I discovered Active Skin Repair and their baby spray from my community when our daughter was a newborn and had constant diaper rashes, and it really helped and continues to help. Containing hypochlorous acid, which is an effective option for helping with yeast diaper we just spray or dab active skin repair onto the skin with a clean cloth or cotton ball let's sit for 15 seconds and then apply our balm or ointment of choice with over 500,000 happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews you now have one simple solution for all of your family's skin health needs visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and to get 20% off your order using code pedsdoc that's p-e-d-s-d-o-c So tell me more about comparison making and moms. I know you talk about this in your book, especially as it relates to social media. Yes, I have a lot to say about this one. Um, I do too. Everyone does, right? I'm sure you do. I'm sure you do. It's it's hard. I see it it affecting our generation greatly in a negative way. You know, I think it's a double-edged sword. You, You go on social media to want to learn, but you also leave feeling a little bad about yourself. And that's, it's it's awful. Yes. Yes. It's so hard. And I have a chapter in the book on comparison making and Mm -hmm. and social media in particular. It's such a difficult thing. And I think actually made worse during the pandemic because Mm -hmm. none of us were going out. And so social media was really like our only outlet, you know, for connecting with the outside world. So I think these issues became even more entrenched. Yeah. I mean, I see exactly what you see, which is like moms, you know, comparing themselves to other moms, either on social media or like in real life. Um, and finding that they come up lacking in some way, right? And this often leads to guilt and to shame and to anxiety. Um, one of the things I think is so interesting now is the rise, which this actually happened after I wrote the book, interestingly, the rise of, of what they're now calling the momfluencer, mm-hmm. of these moms who you know, are on social media. I mean, some of them really terrific, but some of them inspiring a lot of envy and shame and guilt yes. and, and all those sorts of things, right? So, you know, I, I devote, as I said, a whole chapter to talking about this. One thing I'll say that's sort of a theme of the chapter and a theme of my work on comparison making in general is basically for moms to learn to be critical of their comparisons. So mm. in other words, to really think about, all right, is this person an appropriate person for me to be comparing myself to? because often it's not, right? So sometimes it's like a celebrity or a momfluencer, right? Or somebody that these moms don't know from a hole in the wall, right? So how is that a fair comparison? You have no idea who these people are, 
what it took for these people to get this perfect picture, you know, or make right. this perfect post, right? You don't know these people's lives. You don't know how much help they have. So totally unfair comparison. Another unfair comparison is like when you're comparing yourself to people you see on social media who you haven't known since like sixth grade, right? That's another crazy one too, because, you know, moms will come to me and say, oh my gosh, this girl I knew from sixth grade did X, Y, and Z with her kids. And I'm like, well, how long has it been since you've seen or talked to this girl? And she'll be like, oh, since sixth grade. <laughs> you know. And so I'll say, hey, you don't know this woman any more than you know a momfluencer at this point, right? So how can you make a fair comparison when you don't know her background and her life? Um, but even when you do know people um, and do make comparisons with people you know, you can often challenge that too. Like something I hear about all the time is like a patient will say to me, oh my gosh, my neighbor just posted X, Y, or Z about her kids on social media. And I just felt so awful, jealous, you know, et cetera, after I saw it. And I'll ask, you know, I'll say like, can you tell me about your neighbor? Like, what's she like? And like, inevitably the patient will say, oh, I can't stand her. <laughs> like, <laughs> I can't stand her. I find her really annoying. I, I find her oh, annoying. Wow. And so I'll be like, well, okay. So if you can't stand this woman, like, why are you comparing yourself against someone whose mm -hmm. opinions you don't value, mm -hmm. right? Doesn't share values with you. Like one of the things I'm, I'm always saying is like, it's as if you're going to a doctor whose medical credentials you do not respect and then taking their medical advice, <laughs> right? It just doesn't make any sense. That's and so, a great analogy. And that's, right? it's perfect. Yes. I love that. Yeah. And so I really, and, and again, there's a lot more specific um, strategies in the chapter in the book too, but in general, I'm really encouraging of moms, like I said, to be very critical of their comparisons and to choose sort of strategically who to compare themselves to. Um, these are moms whose, you know, opinions they value, who they respect um, I think great comparison points are moms with kids like a little bit older than yours, right? Because they've been through it and they can kind of tell you how to navigate it. Um, those are the people you want to pick for your comparisons, right? You want people whose values you share, people whose opinions you value. Um, again, people whose families you might admire, like choose those people as your comparison points and really try to be critical of the other comparisons you're making. Absolutely. This is great advice. And you're right. The rise of the momfluencer has been very eye-opening for me because I joined Instagram two years ago or maybe now three years ago. Uh, and at that point, you know, it was I would join because I wanted to do education. And then I became a mom and I started looking at all these other momfluencers and I ended up unfollowing many of them. Um, one, because of the reality that they were creating that I knew not to be real because I know I'm a pediatrician. I'm also a mom. I know the realities that happen day in and day out in my office. You know, I know that things yeah. are not rosy. And the problem that was with social media, I will say before the pandemic, especially was that it was, you know, filters. And it was like you said, those those pictures that took, I know personally, because I've done them too, 20, 40 pictures before you get the one that actually works, that your child's not screaming and crying, yep. you know, um, uh -huh. I know, I I, I've, you know, and it's, and it's, it's a sad reality because I'm on a platform that also you have to take those photos because that's what gets the likes and gets the engagement. But I hate that those are the photos that have to, you know, that's what you have to do to get there. It's, um, yeah, it's so it's, hard. It's, it's so hard. And I, you know, I, I do feel like during the pandemic, there was a big switch or shift to 
people who are being more real. Like I saw a lot of accounts that were more authentic, really thrive, you know, sharing more of the emotional side of motherhood, how hard it is, but also balancing it with the good. Kind of what you mentioned at the beginning, like understanding the whole spectrum of motherhood emotions. Um, and I'm, I'm happy. I, I want social media to turn into more of that place. You can still have filtered images, but you can still talk about the real stuff, right? Get into your stories and really say, this is hard, but you know what? We're going to get through this because that's what it should be about. And I think that's so uplifting. And um, I completely agree. I think the social media world and your advice about who you're comparing yourself to is just such an important insight that I think a lot of moms of my generation are not doing, and it can rob you of your joy of being a mom. Oh, for sure. There's no question. And I'll say too, like, you know, following your Instagram is a great example of a good person, right? Because you are a mom, you are a pediatrician, you post, you know, fact-based insights, right? So, I mean, that's the type of thing that I encourage my patients to follow um, and not this ridiculous. I mean, there's a lot of nonsense out there. As you know. I know, I know. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of nonsense. Oh, it's painful. But I, you know, I think this is so important. Like, like you said, we could talk about the social media opinions for a whole episode. The the one other thing I wanted to go over, which was a really important um, part of your book was about partner relationships. You know, we talk about ourselves changing, we talk about mommy brain and all that. But what do you see happening in partner relationships once babies enter the picture? And how can we navigate this? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of moms are just not prepared for, you know, babies sort of being like bombs that drop on their marriage or on their partnership, mm-hmm. right? Um, but they really can be. Um, there's so many ways in which partner dynamics can shift. And I, I think there's a couple things that I try to encourage moms to do sort of straight out of the gate to hopefully minimize some of the partner, you know, kind of related difficulties. So I talk about these things in the book. I'll, I'll just kind of like highlight one or two of them. Um, so one of the things that I hear most often, if not the most often from my patients is issues with the division of labor, right? Mm-hmm. Something mm-hmm. they were not prepared for and something that really surprised them when the baby came along. So often it's it's something to the effect of, when we talked about baby in the abstract, like we really talked about 50-50 split of labor, but then, you know, we had this baby and oftentimes I'll hear like, I was the one who nursed. And so I was the one who started getting up with the baby yeah. and somehow that cascaded to me being the one who did everything with the baby. And then that kept, that was sort of that pattern continued. I've heard this so, so often. So, so that's been sort of one big thing I, you know, have wanted to target. And, and another big thing I hear all the time is like, we don't have time to be together anymore, right? Anytime we talk, we're, it's like two ships passing in the night and we're talking about logistical issues and nothing else. Yeah. So, uh, so in order to hopefully minimize these issues, one thing I really encourage moms and their partners to do basically as soon as they can after the baby is born is to set up what I call the list of lists. And this is not mine. I'm, I stole this from this really cool um, New York Times piece that this woman, Judith Shulovitz wrote now about five, six years ago. I think it's mom, the designated warrior. Mm-hmm. And in the piece, Shulovitz talks about how, and actually they did a, a, an interesting kind of updated version of this in the Times um, actually a few weeks ago. But Shulovitz talks about how, you know, mom is often the warrior in part because she is often the one who keeps the quote unquote list of lists, right? That has yeah. like the, everything that has to be done for every kid and whatever. So I, I always tell patients to read this piece. And then I say, you know what, you and your partner need to sit down and you need to make the list of lists together. And you need to decide who's going to do what, right? Yeah. And, you, and play to your strengths. 
So there's certain things like, I don't know, me and my husband are a great example. We're like, I buy the clothes because I am just better with the clothes, right? My husband does the Cub Scouts because he's just better with the Cub Scouts. Um, And I think you've got to play to your strengths, right? You also have to be realistic. Like, you know, if one partner is working and the other partner is not, or one partner has responsibility for aging parents, like you definitely have to account for that, right? So it doesn't have to be a 50-50 equitable partnership, but you want to make it a fair partnership, right? One that both members of the partnership feel good about. So as early as possible, sit down, make the list of lists, figure out who's going to do what, and consistently talk about that, right? As your kids get older and responsibilities change. I think it's so important because to establish those patterns at the beginning ensures that you're not dealing. I'm sure you see this in your practice, but what I will see is moms of elementary school age kids who will say, you know, my kids will not accept my partner in the middle of the night Mm. because I was the one who got up with them very early on and I continue to be the one who got up with them and they will not accept my partner now. And that sticks. Because at a certain point, what you you don't want to be the only one who's doing the nighttime stuff. So Again, I think the earlier you can sit down and talk through this list of lists and figure out a fair division of labor, the better. Um, and the second thing I mentioned about, you know, not being able to communicate, I tell my patients, like, find a time for FaceTime with your partner. Make it the same time every week. Maybe it's twice a week, like depending on your circumstances, but assign yourselves a time when the kids are napping, when the kids are in bed, right? When you won't be interrupted to just sit down and talk to each other. Um, And it can be about logistical stuff. It can be about emotional stuff. It can be about whatever you want. The important thing is, right, just to be face-to-face in front of each other. Um, And that just helps to keep the lines of communication open, right? Because otherwise, it's really two ships passing in the night, like I said before. Um, So those are two kind of big ones. Another thing that I focus on a lot in the chapter on couples is how to uh, navigate sort of disagreements and how to ask for what you need in a productive way. Um, And for that, I steal a skill from dialectical behavior therapy, which is an offshoot of CBT called Dear Man, which is an acronym. I won't go into what it means, but basically Dear Man, it's a strategy for asking for what you need um, without being pushy and without being passive. Um, So I talk a lot about how you can use that to ask for what you need in a relationship and how you can use that when you are arguing, right? When you're disagreeing, Um, because arguments can blow up so easily when you're new parents and you're sleep deprived, right? And you're just feeling generally crappy. Um, So I think the sooner you can put into place these solid strategies for managing arguments, the better. So those are kind of some general themes from that couples chapter. Um, but there's a lot to be said about couples because as I said, babies, babies really change the dynamic in a pretty profound way. Oh, absolutely. And all the things in your book are just so important. And I think again, things that a lot of moms or women just don't realize until they're actually in the trenches and they're like, well, I didn't think this would happen. I was told it might, but it actually happened like with partners, with mom brain, with the anxiety, with the worry. I mean, I went through that too. You know, I I had friends tell me, well, this will change. You know, your relationship with your dog will change. Your relationship with your partner will change. And I said, oh, it's okay. It'll, we'll get through it. And although we get through it, it definitely is important to understand that it changes. And your tips in your book is just so important because there's just tangible ways to get through that. And so I want to thank you so much for putting this book out there into the world. Oh, sure. I really felt strongly that moms needed some really solid strategies to manage. I mean, again, just the emotional upheaval and the identity shifts and the relationship changes, like so much is going on and there's still such a negative 
stigma around, as I was saying before, kind of the negative emotions and experiences of motherhood. So I really hope that this book in some small way can can help to mitigate that a little bit um, and can give moms some really good, solid strategies that they can use to manage all these difficulties. And what would be your final message for everyone listening today? I think it would probably be feel your feelings, <laughs> which sounds so corny, doesn't it? Um, but I think if there's one thing that I most want moms to take away from this book, it's that it is okay to feel however you are feeling about this experience and about how it has changed your life and about how it has changed your relationships, how it's changed your work, how it's changed everything. Like it is okay to feel your feelings. The problem isn't your feelings, right? The problem can be what you do or don't do to manage those feelings, right? So that's really the main premise I sort of come at, you know, with the book is that I say, feel however you're going to feel. And then here's a lot of coping strategies to help you manage whatever you're feeling as effectively as you possibly can. And so that's, I think that would be my, my one take home message from the book. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, I'm going to link your book. Is there anywhere else that people can find you if they want to find you online or on social media? Yes. So I'm at Dr. CBT mom, D-R-C-B-T mom on Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter. Um, I write, I have a blog as well, which is same thing, drcbtmom.com. And I write a whole bunch of places. I write for the Washington Post. I write, I've written for parents. I've written for Scary Mommy, Mother Well. So my, my stuff is around, but you can basically find everything on my social media and on my website. And I will be linking that on my show notes, everyone. I cannot express how grateful I am for having you on the show today. Thanks again for joining us. It was great to to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for tuning in for this week's episode. As always, please leave a review. Share this episode with a friend. Share it on your social media. Make sure to follow me at PedsDocTalk on Instagram and subscribe to my YouTube channel, PedsDocTalkTV. We'll talk to you soon. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.